house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast sticking our feet out the window of a cross-country tripping convertible so we can feel momentarily free of our floozy mom. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with my co-host, entertainment writer Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joseph. This is oh, my no. sexy mother Transylvania accent. Hello. Chris, why are you covered head to toe in snakes? It's so strange. You so know. rarely show up covered head to toe in snakes. I have one cuddling like right on my shoulder <laughs> like a baby. Sometimes you can't even tell. It's just like, is that a hairpin or is that? Nope, snake. Another mm-hmm. snake. Always a snake. This week here at This Head Oscar Buzz, we are so pleased to have another very special guest to record with us. If you are at all into podcasts and movies and movies about podcasts and podcasts about movies, movies about podcasts. I can't believe I wrote that down. That's funny. That's Nobody would want to see that. Uh, you are almost certainly already listening to Blank Check with Griffin and David, one of the best podcasts in existence, I will say. I am a huge fan, obviously. With us today, one half of Hashtag The Two Friends. He is a staff writer at The Atlantic, my old co-worker at The Atlantic. Also, my old movie trivia team partner from such illustrious teams as Joaquin Penis and the William H. Macy Thanksgiving Day Parade, if I'm getting that right. That's right. He also grew up in Britain, which doesn't have anything to do with this week's movie, but I figured I'd throw it out there. It's David Sims, everybody. Uh, Hello, David. Hi. Thank you for having me. It does have something to do with this movie. Well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Okay, good. Okay, So it will come up uh, It'll come up. Of course it'll come up. Excellent. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. I'm trying to do an Irish accent. I'm not good at that. No, you should just like say hello for a half an hour of uh, unchecked monologue like Anthony Hopkins does for long ass stretches oh, in this movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that. Has, uh, I can't do uh, an Anthony Hopkins. A real putters and murmurs performance oh, too. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can I tell you about that? There's a few of them too in this mm-hmm. movie with a uh, Plus, like, half of the cast of Game of Thrones is playing people with eyes gouged out. It's really quite something. Sure. There was a lot of stuff with eyes. Oh, man. oh yeah. What yeah, what they got that budget. They really filled out that line item on that budget for sure is the eye scar guy must have gotten I, a special uh, credit. I was this close to going to see a private war, the Ros Pike eye patch movie after I watched sure. this. And I was like, you know what? I've had enough of one-eyed people today. Oh, boy. Nothing wrong Wait. with one-eyed people. But this Listen, movie has a lot well, of them. 
yeah, this movie's got a lot of them. A couple of them, a couple of them are not so on the level. Yeah. So, David, I, I've been dying to talk to you on this podcast because I know you are a you're an Oscars guy, like we're Oscars guys. You are sort of an old school. Tell us a little bit about oh how you got into the Oscars, how you got into them, like following the Oscars, because I feel like those are like that's a two tiered conversation. Right? It's two tiers, right? Because it's I feel like like you guys, when I was a little kid, uh, I watched the Oscars with my parents because they were the Oscars and it was a big deal. And I was just immediately transfixed by the... Wait, you mean, David, David, you weren't turned away from the Oscars by all of those ugly below-the-line categories uh, that were on TV? And I, when yeah, I was six years old, heroes. I would turn to my mom and say, like, who needs, who cares about sound mixing? No, <laughs> Change uh, the channel, mom. Right. No, I loved every minute of it. I loved all the below-the-line things. I loved thinking about whatever that meant. You know, oh, what is production design? Right. Um, but, um... I also just loved watching this weird uh, celebration of movies I've never heard of with very terrifying and strange names like The Crying Game, sure. where I was like, what could that movie even be? Like, And I liked movies anyway. So I like the Oscars. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's number one. And then number two is me like getting a computer in my room when I'm 15 years old and finding that there's this little world of oscar prognostication and sort of movie fandom that sort of generates out of the oscar watching world and yeah i mean joe knows i was a big and proud uh member emeritus of oscarwatch.com i don't even know what it's called anymore it's changed its name so many times i think it's awards, awards watch? daily awards daily right oh, right there's awards daily but there's also awards watch which is a splinter group of oh, awards no. daily after oh a, there are factions now oh yeah no there was a there was a public split with uh, sasha stone but you know that's you know I was on those forums back in the day. Uh, I was on Oscar Watch. There was also Gold Derby, as as I'm sure you know. And uh, sure, of course, you know, in contention. I'm trying to think. There were you know there were there were a bunch of bunch of little circles that people traveled in. I feel like once I realized that that the Oscars were that they would announce the Oscar nominations during the like Today Show or whatever, like they would break in. And they would then pause to sort of talk to somebody beforehand and be like, what do we think is going to show up in nominations today? And it would be like, Dave um, Carter. Well, who was the, Joel Siegel, you know what I mean? And they would and they would say like, oh, it's going to be this or this or this. And I was like, wait a second. There's like there's a whole prediction game going on here. And yeah, so I sort of sought out. I did the same thing. I don't think I was ever on the Oscar watch forums. I think that was maybe a little intimidating for me, but I certainly read them. I certainly. Oh, yeah. There I were, was a lurker, too. Like my yeah. social anxiety is yeah. even like stretched into like message ports, well, whereas like I can only read these, I can't participate. It was an extremely bitchy, backbitey like yeah. thing, and oh, yes, yeah. it was very. It was its own little world with its own little celebrities, and it was we all had our like there were within it there were the fiefdoms, there was the Julianne Moore fans and the Kate Blanchett fans and the Nicole Kidman fans, and like you know, and it the Annette was, Benning fans. I feel like that oh, was boy. the. Those were the quadrants, right? Like you had to find your corner. Those were two. Those were four big ones. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting. You were, you brought this up on blank check. Recently. I was talking I was about how Kate Blanchett was the the quote unquote ugly stepsister at yes. that time. 
which is a is funny to think about. Moment in time, yeah. She's so all revered. The Charlotte Grays and Veronica Guerin. Veronica Guerin, exactly. Veronica Guerin and the missing that one-two punch. Yeah, I think is it O two or O three? Like O three, yeah. Yeah, where where it was like, oh, she'll definitely get a nomination this year for these, right? And, and ooh, you know, it was yeah. not until she gets that uh, second Oscar. I mean, that fir- first Oscar for the Aviator. Right. Right. That she finally broke into the sort of upper tier of like yes. uh, A-list actresses, right? Even though she's always been great. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it's how I often talk about Beyonce and how the especially the like movie community would talk about uh, Beyonce and the Oscars community, where it's just like, who is this person doing three nominated Oscar songs? And like, oh my God, she's trying to be an actress in Dreamgirls, and like the last. The last pillar to fall in terms of, like, the beehive assimilating all of culture, I think, was, like, Oscar stands. Yeah. Because they still remembered her as just sort of, like, that Hugh Jackman just had her on to sing about um, musicals that one year that he hosted the Oscars. And everybody was just like, her? And it's it's indicative of the fact that it's, it is its own little closed community. It, re- ways, it really is its own little rules i don't know but, what it's like anymore like i don't know what uh, i know it's obviously it still exists like i don't know i'm sure how twitter it has down taken now. to twitter like it's all yeah it's twitter you're thing right now. twitter fucking ruins everything that's, that's what i thing. was can i swear i'm allowed to swear around. yes of you absolutely are. i love yeah. saying i love asking can i swear whenever yes. i'm a guest on a podcast i want to um, do a super cut of people on podcasts yeah. asking can i swear that oh can be... i say that um <laughs> Yeah, but I guess that that was part of it. It was it was sort of Twitter before Twitter. We were, yeah. uh, you know, being bitchy about upcoming movies, and we were fighting about whatever our favorites of the years were, and yeah. things like Chris, that. Chris brought this up one time. I can't remember what movie we were talking about, but we, you were like, somebody would show up with the boards and be like, there was a test screening. Want to know mm-hmm. how it went? Yeah. Like, no, it was, we were talking about um, uh, An Unfinished Life, which, like, the yes. test screening oh. reports would show up on the IMDb boards a lot. Yeah, but no, that was on Oscar Watch Two, an unfinished life. It was, I guess, it was some year when maybe there was no obvious frontrunner for best actress. So, for some reason, the prevailing wisdom became for at least a little while, oh, Jennifer Lopez is going to win this year, and this is it. Like, uh, yeah, this yeah. is going to be her year. And then sometimes that happens a little too often, and so the next time, I remember being very skeptical of the. Charlize Theron is going to win for Monster People because right. it was coming so out of nowhere. And people were like, no, you don't understand. And I was Shout- like, we've been burned by this type of thing before. Yeah. And Shout out to my friend Andy Scott, wherever he may be right now. I think he lives in Paris now. My old Oscar watch friend who called Charlie's. The fir- he was the first to call Charlie's whenever. That was, was that at Sundance? Monster might have been at Sundance. Uh, it was it at some. Been. I can't remember. I he he, he called it before it was at a festival. He uh, called it off the first photo. Like whatever. Oh, wow. Of I her remember in the that photo came went around and everybody was like, Charlie's Theron, really? And I, I remember just... it being like a tiny photo in an yeah. entertainment weekly, like at the yeah. beginning of the magazine at some point. Because like face it was yeah. Looked all burned up, you know. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And and it was he was like, She's gonna win and I was like, What? Like the the one from Reindeer Games? Like get out of here. <laughs> you know, I was so and he was like Hillary Swank was just the girl from Nano two one oh and I was like Yeah. It does uh, not the same but I was wrong and he was right. I remember I was out in front of The Last King of Scotland. Mm. I was like, This movie direct the because it was uh Kevin McDonald had directed the Munich documentary of course. Uh, one, one day one in day September, in September Great movie. which I really loved at the time yeah. and 
I was like, watch out for this movie. He's got, you know, this guy, this guy's got some chops. And, and of course, then it went to, to get Forrest Whitaker the Oscar. And he didn't even thank me in his speech. I can't believe it. <laughs> How dare he? How dare he? Uh, so, David, um, you picked this week's movie out okay. of a list. We gave you a list, and you yeah. came back, and you had one word on that. I did. You said I you picked said it Alexander. so fast. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to, to let the audience know, we're talking about Alexander this week, directed by Oliver Stone. Starring Colin Farrell, Angelina Jolie, Jared Leto, Val Kilmer, Anthony Hopkins, a cast of millions. Premiered November 24th, 2004. David, what made you do this to us? Um, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Uh, I love this movie, which I may be the only one in the world. And I understand that it's you can make fun of it all you want. I will not be offended. Sure. Uh, Chris's uh, wonderful accent to lead everything off was 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 bang on target. Um, this was a movie that I was I was in the I was in college when it, my first year of college when it came out, but I was still a very committed Oscar watcher. Uh, I loved Colin Farrell. I still sure. do, of course. Um, but I was I still love him so much. But I was very much on the you know he was still in his early stardom phase phone booth had just happened this is when they're trying to figure out what the hell to do with him right he's because one they year thought he was a leading man right he had been in Tigerland, and then he'd sort of broken out with minority report and phone booth and then he had that very busy 2003 where he's in lots of things he's a swat right he does daredevil he's in uh intermission he's in the recruit you know he's sort of they're sort of like lobbing him at the screen right. and this felt like it could be his big breakout like his sort of uh prestige sure uh epic yeah this was the oscar point where player. everybody was like what's his oscar nomination gonna be we talked a little bit about this when we talked about ask the dust yes and sure. it was yeah. that sort of like 2004 to 2006 period yes pre-rehab when he is like making a ton of money i mean he will talk about it now like where he's like i was i didn't know what was going on like yeah you know, I was being thrown into all these giant projects and I was so new to the industry and I was drinking and doing so many drugs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Miami Vice, I think, is where he bottoms out and goes to rehab and kind of figures his life out. And now he's yeah. become this sort of lovely character actor that we all uh, enjoy so much. But this is the epitome of, like, Colin, the cute movie star. Like, the uh, he played, like, Oliver Stone had been trying to make an Alexander the Great movie for decades, and he finally settles on Colin Farrell to be <laughs> the, literally the most, the greatest warrior in the history of Earth. And it was going to be a Baz Luhrmann, Leonardo DiCaprio, Alexander, and that, like, this movie beat, the you know, that one to the punch. Yeah. And so that, that got scrapped, like, we were robbed of Leo Alexander. And uh, it's such, and it costs a gazillion dollars. Like, it's such a. It was a big thing. It was tipped for huge success. It, I mean, like, the pre-production for this movie yeah. was, like, one of the most heavily covered. We talked about, like, pre-production coverage of Hannibal when we did that movie. But, yeah. like, this one's up there as well. And it, partly because of the, like, rival Boz Lerman thing. Remember right. the days of movies where it was, like, the same subject and it was, like, a blinking contest to see who would, like, break away? Yeah. Like, there used to be all these kind of movies. My favorite thing is whenever there are two movies with the same subject that are headed towards being released around the same time, we will always get that article about it, and it will always mention Volcano and Dante's Peak, and I get so happy every time. Because it's like, <laughs> those two movies will live forever, and I love Volcano. I'm such a huge Volcano partisan. The Coast is Toast? Of, 
What the ghost? <laughs> definitely toast. One of my favorite sort of like dumb junky Saturday afternoon movies. But those two movies will live forever because every time there is two movies right. on the same subject, they'll be like, "Remember, Volcano and Dante's Peak did it." And I was like, "Okay." And um, in a yeah. way, we still kind of got Boz Lerman's Alexander movie because this is exactly what I imagine it would be. Sure. I mean, yes and no. It's a. I, it's excessive and yeah. It's a very um, grand and opulent and over-the-top movie with um, a lot of boys and a lot of monologuing and a lot of sort of grasping oh people's faces and talking right at the face. So we should mention that like David and I both watched the ultimate cut yes. of this, which is the three-and-a-half-hour... It's streaming on Netflix now if you want to watch it. Three-and-a-half-hour cut, which was... I believe it's the most recent. It is the one he said is is, right. The final, quote unquote. He said this is the final, even though there's another one called the final cut. (laughs) Yes, that's like two minutes shorter than the ultimate cut. And I watched the theatrical cut to just kind of have some because I hadn't seen the movie before. We'll Um, be talking about so much stuff. You'll be like, what? Right. Well, I mean, that was going to be one of my questions for you guys is especially if you'd seen the original, which David, you said you had. Joe, I don't know if you have. Yes, I how much is added to it, but also what is improved by the movie's re-edits. Because I will say, I'm kind of into this movie. <laughs> this well, movie rules. Thank you. I, I'm I so glad it. I converted I you. Yes. Time. Let's finish the podcast now before any further criticism <laughs> can yeah. be made. Well, before we get into the movie too much, David, do you want to give a shot at doing a 60-second plot description for this yeah, movie? Yeah, it's actually pretty easy because you don't have to go into too much detail. Do you, Are you going to start the clock on me? I am. Give me one second to find my clock. Yeah. All right. One minute. And are you ready? I will start the yep. clock when you're ready. Yep, I'm ready. Go. Okay, so it's basically a potted history of the life of Alexander the Great, the Hellenic warrior who ruled over uh, Macedonia and Greece and then just swept through sort of the known world and he conquered Egypt and he conquered uh, Babylon and then he went into India and then he came back from India, went to Babylon and then he died uh, 32 of some sort of disease. And uh, so it's sort of a film that that is uh, cutting between his childhood and his uh, upbringing with his uh, father, Val Kilmer, and his mother, Angelina Jolie, but also just his various conquerings, his relationships with his fellow men, uh, his wife, played by Rosario Dawson. And uh, it has a very loose st- uh, style in terms of the biography and how it cuts between things, but it is uh, essentially a fairly true history of alexander's life nice well, well done. done i mean what do you say i mean i could give you right. a pot but it's like it is a bio biopic about alexander the great it certainly is that it sure it sure <laughs> definitely is that oliver stone wrote, read a lot of he read a lot of freaking autobiographies about the guy like he that that is the movie sort of screams that where he's like well i got to include this battle and i got to include this thing the ultimate cut, I feel like I don't remember it being so uh, chopped up narratively. No, it and is. Maybe, 
Oh, it, it is? is? Okay. Yeah. The theatrical cut is too. Though you mean the weird thing where they're just sort of jumping all over the place? They just start in yeah. the middle of the yeah. of the climactic battle, but it but it goes on forever, so it doesn't feel like a quick little intro and then we're gonna flash back. It's just like that opening I mean, everything in this movie goes on forever, especially yes. in the ultimate cut. We're like yes. these scenes go on and on and on. There's, you know, down either a battle or or a Aristotle lesson on a hilltop, whatever I was it is. Say, please tell me there is not more Anthony Hopkins <laughs> bookending this already very long movie. I mean, there's plenty of Hopkins bookend. I don't know. I I I saw the theatrical cut um, in in theaters. I saw it when it came out. Yeah, uh, and t- in my memory, the ultimate like you know comparing the two, like I think the ultimate cut just sort of fattens everything, like. I don't think it's think adding it a lot of totally cut scenes. I think it's just making scenes longer. It's m- like throwing in more historical context and dialogue. Like there's nothing here where you're like, oh, here's a whole sequence they decided to remove. I'm pretty sure they didn't show him in bed with um, Bag- Bagoas, whatever the... the... There's, there's definitely a little more of that. There's yeah. definitely more of that because I would have remembered. I think yeah. that was a big reason why I, I saw Alexander at the time. I was so eager to see it at the time. Is that is where we get the was... full frontal from behind? Yep. Because no, that's uh, definitely in the theatrical cut. It is in, that is in the theatrical cut, but they, they just sort of bat, they, they, there's just more of that. You definitely didn't see him kiss him in, no. in the movie oh, or no. him like lick his nipple or anything like that. So there was Excuse like, there was that me? going on. You also didn't see him, like, thrusting away at Rosario Dawson. Like, that sex scene is also sort of um, curtailed a little bit in the theatrical sure. cut. right. But I remember they, they this... They do kind of wrestle, though, in the theatrical cut. I remember that. They're oh, absolutely. Of, they're, they're, oh, yeah, they're, they're like, yeah. very fighty, fight yeah. sexy. A lot of fighty. But the, the gay stuff was a big, big thing at the time in the, the run-up to production because... Of the, like, moment in time we're in, we're, like, 2004, like, people forget, like, this was the election where George sure. W. Bush sort of, like, weaponized these anti-gay bills in these swing states and managed to win re-election on the backs of homophobia. And, but there was also, specifically with this movie, there were, like, Greek groups suing the film yep. for sullying the, you know, the pristine heterosexual reputation of Alexander the Great. Like, I'm not quite sure what they were going for there, because obviously, like, that's... One of the things that Oliver Stone kept talking about in the run-up to the movie was yeah. the you know the Greeks at this time and you know homosexuality heterosexuality was all you know fraternal relationships with your fellow man and this is how you expressed closeness with your fellow warriors and blah, 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 blah. Um, Oliver Stone sort of becoming in love with whatever he's in love with at the time I think he's he's somebody who sort of really falls into his subjects. He does. As he's, you know, as he's going for them. But there was a lot of stuff cut out of the theatrical cut that I remember people being frustrated by because it seemed like he had to leave a lot of like there was always a question of like how much gay shit did he leave on the cutting room floor? He kind of said he cut some, you know, he I remember at the time he was like, yeah, they really are leaning on me to cut stuff out. And, you know, society is so homophobic and that's why this movie's not doing well. Right, Which, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but it, maybe it's, it's a three-hour cool. hard-hour movie at release at Thanksgiving. I don't right. know, but I mean, it is certainly interesting that yes, literally, like Greek academics were like, "How dare you!" Like that, it, he was. It was the 300 BC, but we definitely know that he wasn't gay. So how could right. you put that in the movie? Like, right. 
Well, and then there's this whole scene with Christopher Plummer playing Aristotle, sort of instructing all these young boys on the mountaintop. Yep. And um, and it goes into this sort of like high-minded discussion of what about you know men who who sleep with other men, and he sort of draws the line between men who sleep with men for sort of sexual pleasure versus the greater glorification of the body and the mind or whatever is right. sort of when like you lay in knowledge he says yes, which to me yes. says when you cuddle with science i don't right. know what he's talking about <laughs> uh yeah i don't know enough about aristotle to know Same. what's going yeah. on there but i'm pretty sure that and again, I mean, let's remember that Aristotle was alive in 350 BC or whatever. Right. But I think, so it's sort of funny to like go to Wikipedia and it's like some people have called him a misogynist and it's like, okay. Yeah, it's like, I mean, what does that even mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I think he was kind of like, look, you know, boys are great and they should uh, talk yeah. and have sex and they should do whatever they want and women are right. more passive. And uh, But you know, there's a, I don't think he had the most evolved uh, attitude sure. to sex to me it's more interesting to talk about oliver stone's sort of historical sure. depiction of like gay shit on screen because i always sort of go back to that scene in jfk and jfk is one of my favorite if not like my favorite movie it's so so good but there's that scene where um if they go flashing back to tommy lee jones and joe pesci and kevin bacon having their weird little like dress up sex party and it's all JFK is a movie that tends to pile on gayness on top of characters it wants to villainize as sort of part of their more sordid um, pasts and depicts it in this very harsh and frightening way. And I remember being, you know, 11, 12 years old at the time and being sort of just like, oh, God, like, that's what that is. And, you know, and then in Nixon, he depicts a great movie. Uh, I love Nixon. I absolutely adore Nixon. But he's got Bob Hoskins as J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover with his whole sort of like, you know, history himself as this kind of they have the one scene where he's like lounging by the pool and he's got these like boys attending to him or whatever. It's just like, all right, Oliver, like we get it. There's just the sense to me that Oliver Stone can't quite get away from in Alexander where Alexander, he at least sort of grapples with it in a way, but he can't fully divorce himself from this idea that carnal gay sort of sexuality is part and parcel of a kind of human weakness yes or a human just sort of flaw that is comes across i think it's his problem with i mean because this movie's i mean the 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 i'm i'm i don't think this is going to be crazy to say he's made a lot of biopics yeah. Uh, over the years, the movie the that this, and Nixon yeah, and the yeah. Doors is the movie this is most like in his yeah. oeuvre. This is like the Doors, you know, classical war edition, and like he just he can be a little too so too lazy about the whole like and then excess and like you know <laughs> right, right. The camera <laughs> swirls the around yeah. and like oh he's partying this isn't gonna be good and more and snakes more and wine in this yeah. movie it's right you, well you got you know his his mom worshiping Dionysus uh, but uh, you gotta yeah you you have all these scenes especially in Babylon where he's he's kissing boys. For somebody who worshipped Dionysus as much as uh, as Olympias, the, the Angelina jo- Jolie character, does, she doesn't ever really seem to cut loose herself. She just it's seems true. to 
to glare from <laughs> just far always top, be intense uh, with her snakes. She loves to sit in a balcony. Right. I will right. tell you, Angelina Jolie is by far my favorite part of this movie. Absolutely. <laughs> I think she's she's so wild. decadent and so like every single line reading, I look forward to her showing up so much because she's always going to be sitting on a throne of snakes and she's always going to be sort of looking at Alexander through the side of her eye, but it's she talks like a vampire and it's just yes, she does the most wonderful thing I mean, this movie has the the very uh confusing decision i think for a lot of viewers to represent the macedonian accent as an irish accent because <laughs> yes. that is colin's <laughs> accent so colin obviously is comfortable enough with the accent sure. uh, but jonathan uh, val- reese myers is doing okay yeah right but val kilmer is uh all over the place and then you've got, you know, the more the more classical Greeks are have an English accent, and then uh, Olympias, I guess, is from somewhere else, so she gets to have a Russian accent. Like, the, it, <laughs> if you're watching it, you're like, I, there, there's a reason for the sort of rule of like anyone from ancient times just talks just in British. an English accent. Yeah, like it just it just makes things simpler for people. <laughs> like, you know, this is what Gladiator had done, right? And it's sure, like, yeah. And I remember I saw this with my friends in college and they could not get over like, why did he have an Irish accent? One of my friends was Irish and was just like, he's Ireland is not close to Greece. It is 1000 miles from Greece. (laughs) Like, what is going? Why is he doing that? Oh, my God. I guess it was to just make Farrell more comfortable or so that he has like one less thing to worry about as he's. But he's fine in accents. He's never really. I don't know. They ask him to do a lot of speeches in this, though, oh, I will boy. say. Like, it's just a lot of, like, here's 12 pages of dialogue, just, like, of monologue, go for it. And, like, clearly he's on a lot, like, not to cast aspersions, but, like, he's maybe on a lot of coke in this <laughs> movie. There's just a lot of energy in his, in his not even the speeches, but just sort of a lot of, there's a lot of wild-eyed kind of oh, reaction yeah. shots. Where, where did they shoot it? I assume they shot it somewhere far away. Morocco? I always feel like sure. these, these things are, are Morocco or Morocco adjacent. I know that was a big thing in the Baz Luhrmann uh, production was they Baz Luhrmann originally wanted to film in Jordan and then war broke out in yeah. you know that whole area and he was just like perhaps Morocco I shall seek. Right. Um, <laughs> but there's I, there's shot in Morocco. Was oh, it interesting. man? Yeah. Also Thailand. I feel like oh, Thailand? I do remember yeah. yeah, because I guess a, for the jungles and things for the like jungle that. stuff. Right. Yeah. There was a, there was an IMDb trivia thing I wanted to find about that because there was something about uh, one of the elephants. Hold on, I'm gonna find it. You guys talk about something. I'm gonna find this trivia. Hey, thing. Chris, isn't this movie hey. completely insane? This movie is completely insane. As Joe mentioned, everything having to do with Angelina Jolie is <laughs> incredible. She Can we talk snakes. about her for a second? Sure. She loves snakes. She loves snakes. She has like cobras. Yep. There's uh, like an albino snake. She yep. cuddles with them. She teaches young Alexander how to play with them. She's convinced that Alexander's father is the god Zeus. Yes. And Which she, she keeps telling him. Has a very combative relationship with who we are led to believe. Um, King Philip, played by Val Kilmer, who is her husband, is supposed to be the father, but she is very adamant that it is Zeus the whole time. She monologues a lot about Zeus from balconies, uh, as mentioned. Alexander the whole time was kind of like, shut up, stop talking about Zeus. Angelina Jolie seems like the only person who had fun making this movie. 
And I know that she's, That's like, one of true. the major contingent points of people, like, thinking that this movie is bad or making fun of this movie. But, like, I feel like she gets it. Like, well, Also, Ange- Angelina Jolie didn't have to, like, go trot out to a battlefield either. You know what I mean? Like, she didn't yeah, have to, like, even well, stand. She was just – she was seated for her entire performance of this movie, which, honestly, that's the way to go. Just chilling getting... with her snake-like hair extensions. All right, so I found my little Thailand fact in the trivia. So this little bit says, on July 10th, 2014, elephant actor Fly Clow – that's the name of the uh, Okay. Elephant, was poisoned by ivory poachers near Atuaya, Thailand. He was oh, 50. First of all, okay, poisoned elephants is, is is awful and sad and terrible. But the he was 50 line in this <laughs> made me laugh so much because I fully expected the next line to be he was one week away from retirement. Because Jesus <laughs> it's just like, Christ. He was so close, you guys. Um and then the uh I guess his his Mahout, I'm assuming that's handler? I don't know. Um somebody was arrested for conspiracy to murder. So like Thailand takes that shit as they should. Wow. But that poor elephant was almost there. Almost okay. had his gold. I watch. will anyway, say as a side note, I am shocked to hear that these were real elephants. Those because are some, some real of these elephants. shots with the elephants look bad, man. I thought they were um, fake. No, they're real. I mean, there must be some fake element, though, because they have to get speared and, yeah. you know, they have to squish they're, people. So there must have yeah, been a fake elephant. Yeah, their trunks are chopped off. Yeah. Chris, did you get that shot in the theatrical cut where the elephant stomps on the guy and he explodes? I think I did. That whole scene was a lot, man. Yeah, oh, man. There were so many, so many gored up bodies and such. To the point where it's like they do that mid two thousand thing of it's like, oh well, we're crazy violent here. Let's just make the whole screen be red, right. so that we can oh, suggest that how was violent such, it is, but not have to. That was worry so about Oliver Stone. That was like, yeah. remember how I directed Natural Born Killers? Like, right. yeah. Where he desaturates and then it just goes yeah. red. I uh, love that scene. It's a great scene in a perfect movie. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it's not a perfect movie. It's a, a, a wildly ambitious and extremely flawed movie, but uh, uh, I do appreciate it's, I, it's, the effort. Yeah, every time. It's, it's an easy movie. I could see that, like, will have pockets of fans just because it really sort of goes for it. There's another trivia item that says in the film, Olympias has an affinity for snakes. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, I did we I know. did pick up on that actually? Yeah, <laughs> Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer, who is uh, who is played in this movie by a human wineskin. He's just sort of <laughs> yes, he's, he's a he's a big old bladder of wine in this movie. Even there and... are actors that are played by snakes in this movie. <laughs> he he is having he is I will say Val Kilmer's maybe also having a good time in this movie where he's just like I'm gonna gain a little bit of weight. I'm going to get a little bit, you know, a little doughy, a little pudgy, and then I'm just right. going to, like, yell at this little, you know, shit who's taking my my spot, essentially. And I don't know. Because we're He's... only, like, four years removed from Red Planet, where we're still, you know... Sure. Holly, Hollywood is still like Val Kilmer's a leading man, right? Like yeah, he was we Batman. Can cast him in things. At this point, right? However, he's like, all right, forget it. Look, I'll play the old king. I'll get a little fat. I'll yell and scream. Like you know, I'll try and get a supporting actor nomination. I guess this was a real interesting era for Val Kilmer, where it was like this movie, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, where he got a lot of like 
uh, good attention. Right. But then there was like, what was the porn movie? He not not the porn movie, but the movie Wonderland. Wonderland that he did. Yeah, the Lovelace movie. Right. Uh, what what the hell is it called? Wonderland. 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 Right. right. And then he did like the Salt. And oh yeah, John Like there was a lot of like cruddy like cruddy California movies that he made around this era too. The Salt and Sea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I never uh, saw the Salt and Sea, or if I did, I don't remember it. I think that's maybe more like it. Spartan. Spartan was the one I never saw. Yeah, the man that was movie. That was when Wicks I was like with Francis Ford Coppola. And Wait, what's Kristen that? Kristen Bell. Wait, really? Yeah. Bell Fanning. What in the world? Oh my god. Maybe Weird movie. This movie. That's crazy. So talking more about why this movie had Oscar buzz, I want to talk a little bit about the sort of post Gladiator. Every time there was a movie that seemed a little bit epic or that there were kind of a chariot somewhere or perhaps just sort of like people fighting on sand that that would have oscar buzz i remember this movie reminded me a lot of troy not in that like troy was as good troy's the same year right or is it might have been the year before or the year out no it was the year after was it no 2004 no no it was they were both the same year yeah, that's, May. that's funny because so this is the apex of the swords and sandals revival. Yeah. Like this is where it crests. Yeah, well, and like Kingdom of Heaven might have also been the oh, same yeah. year. I and think that's so five. I that's saw that the in next college. year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was. I think that was. There's the sort of gladiator, and then also Lord of the Rings because every time there was Colin Farrell on horseback yelling an inspirational speech to his troops. I was like, we have Lord of the Rings to thank for this, sort of, right? We're like, yeah. they couldn't get enough of Viggo Mortensen firing up the troops. I think People those like seem like that. In... Yeah. Oh, for sure. You definitely have Lord of the Rings and Gladiator to... Th- well, Gladiator's not as long, but you have those movies to thank for... We can just have three-hour epics again. Like People right. will sit through this. Right. Yeah, Troy kept coming up in my mind because they keep talking about Achilles. They keep comparing Alexander to Achilles in this movie and right. Alexander and Hephaestion's relationship to Achilles and Patroclus. Patroclus, right. And it made and... me mad every time because I remembered that Troy made Patroclus Achilles's cousin instead yes. of his lover. Who plays him in Troy? Garrett I'm Headland. Right, Garrett and Headland. I'm... Troy was criticized for, be, yeah, being too cagey about the the lover relationship there, and yeah. this movie is less cagey about that. Fully, yeah. I, I yeah. all right. What do we think of Jared Leto and the Hephaestian character in general in this movie? I think Jared Leto has a completely different idea of what this movie is than <laughs> what it is. He thinks he is being a romantic leading man. I think the movie kind of doesn't know what to do with him because. You know, there's that one big scene where they are friggin' talking to each other for what feels like two to three hours. Yes, it does. Uh, about <laughs> sure how does. great, you know, they're all, they are and how much they love each other. And, you know, I would I would go, you know, if you died, I would go with you or whatever. And he's right. like, no, if you died, I would go right. with you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the, you know, the pro- one of the big problems this movie has is that it is set in three to four time periods. So you've got, like, little Alexander, teen Alexander... Right. Grown up Alexander and then old Ptolemy played by Anthony Hopkins. And it is very hard to keep track of. You know who Alexander is? 
but it's very hard right. to keep track of the young like which yeah. one of them is young Ptolemy? which one of them is young Hephaestion? like i i don't know you and you so, mentioning old Ptolemy makes me think of old deuteronomy and now i want to see like anthony hopkins take like sort of it. like a rise up into the heavens old deuteronomy he was a god cadmus as close as anything I've ever known. I believe tyrant so easily. I laughed. No tyrant ever gave back so much. Now what do they know of the world, these schoolboys? It takes strong men to rule. Alexander was more, he was Prometheus, a, a friend to man. He changed the world. Before him there were tribes. And after him, all was possible. I could see that happening. Um, but, Based um, on his Twitter presence, Anthony Hopkins would be great in Cats. <laughs> yeah, he'd have fun. But so you'd have you you have uh, this connection, but the connection's actually not that clear. Like, and I guess there's a little more of it in the teen years, but I'm not picking up on it as well there. And after their big monologue scene, there's not a lot of Jared Leto. He's not really no. in the movie that much. This movie really needed to invest more in that in that sort of not only like romance but just like them as like a power couple essentially like this movie really needed to because all because you're right after that scene you get a lot of alexander marries rosario dawson and jared uh, leto right. has like a glance in the background or like right. jared leto he, has a glance right. jared leto has a billion glances like every <laughs> time you see him through the rest of this movie it's jared leto and his perfectly applied eyeliner which i will yes. say which is a i mean he's jordan, looking good jordan catalano special that sort of like piercing far away like i'm a little sad glance um he may be the only person in the movie that doesn't wear a wig <laughs> but like it's so every time alexander is with uh Ro roxana i think is her name Rosario yes, Dawson's roxana. Character. and every time he's with uh bagoas the the sort of male attendant i'm not right who's oh. sort of a right yeah he's he's kind of a, a piece of meat i guess he's a whore yeah. he's a he's yeah. a he's a little bit of a whore yeah that's the toby kebble character right no his uh that actor was named francisco bosch oh See, I can't even keep the like boy toys separate. Right, because right. Tony Kebbell is Philip's boy toy, I guess. That's yes. why he yeah, stabs yeah, yeah. Philip, right? Yes. We don't talk enough about the cultural significance that Gladiator had. Because obviously right. it That's had a is. huge halo for Oscar, but like you can blame a lot of box office bombs and successes purely on Gladiator coming out of almost nowhere and being huge and this movie is making a similar calculation to gladiator in that like colin farrell is somewhat of a known quantity just like russell crowe was but has never really opened a movie by himself and when they were doing gladiator it was like oh you're gonna do like a swords and sandals movie with russell crowe like that's like a dead genre with a non-star right. and it worked so I guess like Oliver Stone could go to his weird European financers who definitely put a lot of money into this movie and be like, look, yeah. it's going to be great. It'll be like it'll be like Gladiator. Alexander. Everyone knows who Alexander is. He's so well known. Famous, famous warrior. Uh, he's Alexander the Great. Need yeah. I say more like that? It's his last name is the Great. <laughs> we can put great in the title. I also love the idea that um, the year that Alexander obviously came out and then swiftly bombed 
was 2004, which... They, so they beat Baz Luhrmann and Leonardo DiCaprio to market, essentially. They got the movie out first, and Luhrmann never ended up making his movie. But Alexander ended up getting beat out for the kind of epic Oscar slot that year by Leonardo DiCaprio and Scorsese for The Aviator. Because I feel like... Mm-hmm. 2004 was just like, oh, this is the epic we're going for now. It's not the fighty, sword and sandals, gladiator style epic. It is the old Hollywood, old, you know, eccentric billionaire epic yeah, it, it, in the it does, When I was looking at the Oscar nominees for this year again, it does feel like decidedly small, where the closest thing you get to like a roundly loved epic is the aviator. I mean, and like like we mentioned, this is the same year as Troy. Um, let me list off the Best Picture nominees. As we mentioned, The Aviator. This is the Million Dollar Baby sure. Year, Ray, Sideways, and Finding Neverland. All of which are kind of like the second like biggest movie, if we're using that word, in those Oscar nominees is probably Ray, right? Like yeah. Million Dollar Baby, it has like big emotions, but it's like like intimate relationship drama really at the end of the day right Right. yeah sideways kind of characterized that year for a while because like like million dollar baby famously doesn't come out until super late aviator i'm pretty sure was also a late opener right november maybe or something like that december december yeah Mm -hmm. so like a lot of the early part of that fall was is side like side is sideways going to be the indie that makes it? And obviously, it made it to like best picture. It was a little tempered by the fact that Giamatti was sh- sort of shockingly left off of that best actor list, and ultimately, the year becomes about Aviator. Is Scorsese going to win? And then right. Million Dollar Baby comes out in Eastwood. I always think of. Have I mentioned this on the podcast before? How when Barbara Streisand reads the best picture winner that year because it's her. I'm pretty sure it's her and Dustin Hoffman because Meet the Fockers was that year. That sounds plausible. Reading, reading yeah. Best Picture. And sort of, and they, I remember they sort of seemed vaguely pissed at each other as they were on stage. Or he was at least sort of annoyed by her. And she sort of is Barbara and decides to make the whole show her show. And so she opens the envelope and she sort of looks out in the audience and she goes, oh, I'm so glad I get to give this to you. And I'm thinking, oh, Scorsese, because the whole thing around Hollywood was, when is Martin Scorsese going to get his Oscar? And he had lost for Best Director, but at least maybe he would get Best Picture because everybody assumed that those two were going to split that year. And I was like, oh, he's going to get a Best Picture. And she goes, and then she just goes, Clint. I'm like, oh, whatever. Okay. (laughs) She likes Clint. Everybody loves Clint. So, yeah. That all worked out for the best. Like, of Scorsese course. winning for The Departed is a better yes, win absolutely. for him. Like, yeah. So, you know, if he had been, if his Oscar had been for The Aviator, that would be such an odd footnote to his career. Like, yeah. and then he finally won an about, Oscar for that. Like, I, I mean, say that I about Viola Davis, too, where, like, it's, it's better for everybody that Viola Davis didn't win for The Help that she won for yeah. Fences, which is a better movie and nobody's happy that Meryl won for the Iron Lady but like no. still it's still better that Viola Davis won for something other than the help that's true but right no one is happy that Meryl won for the Iron Lady though no no, no. 
Michelle Williams, I guess? No. That's, nobody would have been happy about that either. I'm trying to think of, like, maybe that's just, like, just give it to Glenn Close for Albert Knobs in 2011. Knobs. Save just, us my personal death yeah, this yeah, year. Yeah, Chris is no fan of Glenn Close and the wife this year. That's going to be... Chris is no fan of the wife. Glenn Close is fine. Glenn um, Close is fine. The wife is, is... The wife is not a good movie. People are not talking about how bad it is. It's a bad movie. Small. Yeah. yeah, it's a hateful movie. Anyway, um, <laughs> it is interesting yeah. because Troy has multiple nominations, or just the one. Let me scroll through here. So Troy is nominated. You also have Passion of the Christ this year. Oh right! So, so all those weird—that was a weird uh, below-the-line year. I feel like, well, like yeah. Passion of the Christ really like kind of cleaned up with like four nominations or something yeah. wild. This. This didn't even come close, right? Like this. No, this was shot. like a multiple Razzie nominee. Yeah, yeah. It's too bad because it, from a design perspective, it is undeniably impressive. It's actually really well shot um, by a great cinematographer. It has a Vangelis score, of course, which like Miss Vangelis from our Vangelis. Sorry, you're right. You're right. No, I think it is Vangelis. I thought it was Vangelis and confused it for Miss. I have no idea, but like it's his first major score since like 1492. Like you know, for like we a, talked more about than him a decade. when we did our 1492 episode. Yeah. yeah. So we keep we're just gonna follow all of the Vangelis movies. The for... score is real good in this movie. I love the score. Um, yeah, it's it's so when we got to the it's very also the thing that Chris did not get to enjoy, which David and I did, we got an intermission at oh, the yeah. two hour mark too. I I was so pissed. I was just like, "What the fuck are you saying to me?" That we are two hours into this movie and now it's an intermission. But like, you got that um, little overture, yeah, for the, from the score there, reminded me a little bit of how much the Hateful Eight benefited by. That Morricone uh, score going over the, the, the intermission. Yeah, no, no, they had an overture there. Remember? Oh yeah, they had an overture, right? Yeah, Where like yeah. they had the they whole. They also had an intermission. Like, yes, yeah. There was there was a lot going on in that movie. Well, yes, that's why. I, no, sorry. I just wanted to bring up my Britishness. Yes. Oh my God, please. So, because I saw this in 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 Britain in college, um, I saw it with a bunch of I don't want to throw them under the bus, but horny eighteen year old boys who were somehow convinced that Angelina Jolie was going to be naked in this movie. That was wow. why they came with me. She is not. She's very not. Uh, no. Uh, That's such a how know, the other half lives from why I saw this really movie. It really is. Yeah. Like, whereas I was just like, you know, just sort of quietly like, I'm very excited to see the Colin Farrell, Alexander the Great right. movie. Like, I <laughs> yeah. was in my Oscar watcher, you know. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, like, it's got war, and it's going to, Angelina Jolie, who was such a, you know, a huge, obvious sex symbol of the of the era. And um, so, in Britain, this movie played with an intermission. Yeah. And so, halfway through the movie, the lights come up. Someone actually came into the theater with, like, candy. Oh wow! Um, and we were, and I remember my friends. The lights came up in this movie. My friends were furious with me. They were like, <laughs> "What is going on? Why did you let us come to this?" So um, wait, did you mislead them into thinking that Angelina Jolie would be naked in this movie? No, I I had not led them either way on that particular count. They for some reason, I guess, I, I guess they were just. I remember like HBO's Rome was kind of. Uh, oh yeah. Oh sure. I think yeah. they were just expecting like it's an ancient epic. Like everyone's always having sex in them. And instead Caligula of and whatnot, this, yeah, yeah, this movie that is intercutting between Anthony Hopkins monologuing about history, 
you know, uh, yeah. Alexander, you know, grasping lots of sweaty boys by the face and sort of talking right at them. Oh my god! Um, a shot of Colin Farrell's balls, as we as we mentioned, we did. And and like you know some war, but mostly like other history. You know, like a lot of like sort of uh, angry interplay between his lieutenants and things like that. And it is it is kind of hilarious to think about how uncommercial this movie is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A couple other things I wanted to talk about before we sort of hit the home stretch. Um, Chris, you had some Jonathan Rees Myers thoughts when we were texting about this earlier, and I wanted to give you a little bit of space to air them out. Oh, no, I was just more so making a joke via text message for, of all of the various snakes that are in this movie, including Jonathan Rhys Myers, who is always, <laughs> I feel like, playing some type of serpent in any movie that's not Velvet Goldmine. He's very watchful. He's very, I guess Leto is too in this movie, but he's, he's very, always ready to pounce. A lot of he shots is. of him just sort of observing. He's playing a guy who I guess some people think sort of betrayed Alexander. He, he is only, like, does he... he does he have ten lines of dialogue? Like he barely does anything in the movie. Maybe it's very much like he's just in the mix. He was where I was losing a little bit of my patience with this movie because I was like, "Why are you here? Who are he's all a, these people?" He's an animate pair of cheekbones. He's. Do you remember when he won a Golden Globe for playing Elvis? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. In that I TV mean, movie really with him and Cameron Manheim or whatever. Elvis. Right. And I guess he sort of gets the tutors right after that, right? I guess that's his yes. sort of peak. Yeah. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if the tutors got cast like in the room at the Golden Globes that year, just being like, "You, you're." Our... He beat out. This is Jonathan Rhys Meyers again. A walking pair of cheekbones beats Donald Sutherland, Kenneth Branagh, Ed Harris, and Bill Nye in his category: best actor in a miniseries or motion picture. Um. And it's not like any of those are like, nobody's like, oh, Donald Sutherland in human trafficking is the, one of the great performances or whatever. But it's just very interesting that that was how that category shook out that year. Um, Very, very strange. I mean, there's so many, like uh, Chris mentioned, there's so many randos in the backgrounds of these scenes, like Rory McCann yeah. or uh, Ian Beattie or Tony Cabell, where you're like, oh, there he is. And like... It's they so must have just had to be in Morocco for three freaking months. I know. Yeah. You know. It's so interesting to see this movie full of, as Chris was saying, like so many people with scarred out, like eye, whatever situations, and Where, everybody's like, kind of messed up. Just looks like they just woke up and hadn't like. Yeah. You know they have like. And the there's Rory McCann, and... who has now become most famous for playing a man with half of his face burned off on Game right. of Thrones. That is just like, nope, his full face. That's what he looks like. That's the you know. He almost looks like fresh as a daisy compared to everybody else because I'm like, I'm so used to you looking so much more fucked up. This is wonderful for you. Good for you. I want to say, well, oh yeah, my hot take on Alexander as I feel, I mean, there's so much, I suppose you could like, you know, specific scenes you could mock or whatever, but like, it's kind of a great coming of age story in that it's about kind of a petulant teenager who goes off to college and out into the world and kind of gets in over his head. Like, sure. you know, so much of the movie is him being like, he's good at the war. Like, anytime he's doing a battle, he's great. He can yell at the troops and they win the battle and it's all very nice. But when he's in, like, Babylon or whatever, like, he's sort of, 
you know, he's smoking this or he's meeting this yeah. girl or whatever. And he's kind of, and everyone's like, what do you want us to do next? He's like, I don't know, man. I've got a lot of ideas. Like, we're, we, we should do this and then we're going to do that. And everyone's like, oh, my God, Alexander's he's blowing off his, it. He's blowing off his Econ 301 class. Exactly. He's, yeah, it's all going it's all going downhill for him. I wanted to, before we get into the wrap up, though, David, because obviously, yeah. you know, blank check being your stock and trade with your podcast. Oh, sure. In terms and this of is Oli- a blank check. I, I was going to say, in terms of Oliver Stone's career, where how much of a blank check is this? Is this? Because it feels like he, at some point, just makes nothing but blank checks. But like, right. wh- where does this, this situate? This has got to be like the highest one. This is his highest blank check in terms of like, this is, and it's kind of crazy because his last movie before this was Any Given Sunday, which wasn't exactly a flop but certainly i think had the, people hoped uh, it was going to be more of a giant hit it was a movie about football it's very commercial yeah, yeah 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 and and that movie is also completely insane uh filled with uh penises and yes, uh, weirdly violent so. like yeah so like much like this movie perhaps like put its audience uh it's extremely broad commercial audience off with, by being kind of an insane oliver stone movie um so i don't know how he convinced the various European companies listed at the start of this, like, you know, in the pre-credits role to put yeah. up the, the $150 million he needed to make this movie. It's kind of um, wild that Dino De Laurentiis was tangentially involved with the other Alexander movie and not I know, this one. This screams yeah. Dino. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Cause Dino would be like, Hey, I have three nephews. They can play his soldiers. <laughs> guess. Like, you know, like that's sort of my, always my impression of Dino is like my salami guy does the catering. Okay. He owes me a favor. Um, so it's his biggest blank check, but like we, you know, like you, you'd think of like heaven and earth is Oliver Stone's biggest blank sure. check or something, where it's like he has his big hit, so he gets to make the the weirder movie, right? The personal project, right? Whereas right. this is more like obviously he, like we said, he loves biopics. He made a JFK biopic. He made a Jim Morrison biopic. He made a Richard Nixon biopic. He made eventually a George will W. Make Bush, a George w. Bush biopic, right? So I and I think he had always wanted to do an Alexander the Great movie. It was certainly one of his big, most staggering sort of ambitious projects. Yeah. Savages I, is another mm, biopic, by the way, that he made. Where oh that, yeah, that's just about Blake Lively's regular life. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's right. the Blake Lively uh, autobiography. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess this is I because of Gladiator. I'm going to blame Gladiator as Chris did, like as sort of the sort of way he talks people into it but i'm gonna this is his biggest blank check and it's his biggest bounce it's it was such a flop i would also say if we're going to use the language of david's podcast sure in terms of like blank oscar checks of like how long has it been since this has paid off oliver stone's got to be like one of the biggest names of those type of people that it's for sure if you just look at his past movies okay so from alexander you have world trade center w Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, Savages, Snowden, all of which had Oscar buzz and didn't get within miles of a nomination. Savages never did, and Savages is the best of those movies by far, is what I will say. And But, like, you know, certainly W and World Trade oh, yeah. Center, and to some extent Snowden, right, these are true story movies you know people are like oh yeah maybe people treat him like a safe bet and like especially in the earlier nomination stage when people are talking about what could be nominated and it's like nixon was the last time that i think so yeah nixon nixon is the end of any given sunday got one when you're a two-time best director nom or best director winner 
it's two times director winner. That's the thing. Yeah, he has a lone go win away. and he's, a picture. He's one of those legacy director, people. Right. Yeah, it's never ever. He's never going to make a movie where you don't think in the back of your mind like eh, there's a possibility. Because I think he has four or five Oscars total. Because he also has screenwriting um, Oscars. Right? Doesn't he have but a like, screenwriting? Yeah. He, yeah. He for Wall Street, right? No, for for Midnight Express. Yeah. Right. Right. Because he doesn't. Yeah, he has three Oscars because he didn't actually produce Platoon. So he has two directing Oscars and a writing Oscar for Midnight Express. That same year that he did Platoon, I always forget that he directed Salvador, which was also got James Woods a nomination. He was nominated for writing that screenplay that year. Right. Um, Director. Yeah. Director winner for Born on the Fourth of July. His last nomination was for screenplay uh, for Nixon. Right. And I always remember him as having another screenplay Oscar, either for JFK or Born on the Fourth of July, but he does not. He, he does doesn't. Not. I mean, JFK, I think, was a quasi frontrunner that year, right? Like Silence of the Lambs now, we think of it as the big sweeper. Yeah, 1991 Best Picture is low-key like one of the best best picture fields yeah. of maybe maybe the best of the 90s to say that. But like it's an all-timer where it's JFK, it Silence of the Lambs, Beauty and the Beast, Prince of Tides, which, you know, isn't maybe the best movie, but like it has its... It has its moments. And then what was the fifth that year? Because it wasn't Thelma and Louise. Bugsy. Which yeah. was this huge sort of like, you know, Warren Beatty, Barry Levinson kind of triumph. Yeah. It put Beatty and Annette Benning together, which like, if nothing else, it managed that. I don't know. I think that's a really, really interesting Oscar year, 91. It's also, isn't it Harvey Keitel's only nomination? I think that might be true. I think yes, that's true. Yes, it is. Yeah, which is one of those weird things where you're like, Harvey Keitel's been nominated for an Oscar. Well, of course he has. Yeah, for Bugsy. Right, for Bugsy. Yeah. yeah. That was his one nomination. So strange. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's just an interesting year all around. That's like, you're getting, Juliette Lewis is nominated for Cape Fear that year, which is such a, that's a movie that does not get less weird every time I see it. It's just, <laughs> it's so I don't know. We, we Part of that, why that movie's so deeply that. upsetting is that it's that weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. So any last thoughts on Alexander and the Oscars that year before we move on to IMDb game? Chris? I would like to bring up, though I am loath to give them more attention than they are already asking for, we should maybe talk a little bit about the Razzies because we we've never really oh, had a Razzies jerks. conversation. Those, like, women-hating jerks that do not deserve more attention. But anyway, I think that Alexander falls in an interesting year because if you look it up, it was actually an anniversary year for them. So I guess this is yeah. their 25th anniversary. So this year they're, like, still honoring things like Gili and Battlefield Earth. Oh, they were doing, like, best or worst of the decade or something like that? Yeah. Is it also, is it the year where they're giving, like, Fahrenheit 9-11 uh, Oscar nomination? I mean, Razzie wins, but for, like... George Bush or whatever. Like, yes, George yeah. George W. Bush was the winner for worst actor for Fahrenheit 9-11, which this is my problem with the Razzies in general is they're so in love with their own bitchiness and yet they're such cowards too. Well, and it's time. also just like, these are the things we and the people we don't like, you know? Yeah. Which right. like, sure, we all fucking hate George Bush, especially in the year of this movie. But like... When they're nominating Jennifer Lawrence for mother. It's like, you just right. don't like her. Right. Right. 
Though I will say, Notorious Trashterpiece, because we all know how much I love those, do we remember the worst picture winner against Alexander? Because Alexander didn't actually win any Razzies. It was nominated for, like six. six. Like, even though, yeah, because even though Alexander was a bomb, I feel like it was kind of quickly forgotten. Like... Well, it made like something like 70% of its box office in its first five days of the Thanksgiving release, and then it just was gone. Word of mouth was so toxic. It made made, like some money overseas to kind of like make it a little more face-saving, but... But then it made a yeah. bunch of money on DVD through all the special editions. Like, apparently it's one yeah. of, like, Warner Warner Brothers? Yes, it's Warner Brothers, right? yeah. Yeah, one of Warner Brothers, like, best or, you know, certainly most unexpected DVD It's, successes. like, in the era of DVDs and, like, VHSs and Blockbuster, when Blockbuster still existed, it was, like, those type of movies where it's, like, you have a gladiator that brings this genre back. Like, people may not shell out the money to see it in a theater but when you're like renting three movies over the weekend you're like oh i liked gladiator let me get this other three hour movie that i'm much more willing to watch at home right and like i remember the born identity being so huge on rentals and like that's why we had the rest of the franchise because the first one didn't do so well do you remember that oh yeah totally no i remember that too we're like like, that's not spy movie that that series didn't really become what it became until greengrass stepped in at supremacy and then identity sort of became a bigger deal in retrospect from that wait so chris tell us what one worst worst film at the worst picture at the razzies of 2004 epic wonderful must be revisited movie catwoman Oh, of course. Another Warner Brothers release. They had a rough year. I guess they won Best Picture. But again, they do like to dump on women. They do like to sort of like point and laugh, Halle Berry, ah ha ha, you made a failure after you won an Oscar. I did want to mention the Yoga Awards. I can't remember what other movie we mentioned that that came into play. The Yoga Awards. We brought it up for Serena. Yes, that's what it was. These are essentially the Spanish Razzies, yoga being sort of backwards, sort of the Goya backwards a little bit. Oh, I get it. Yeah, 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 you, you get it. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I, none of the Spanish movies that they uh, dishonored this year were anything that was familiar to me, but they also had their worst foreign director, which was Oliver Stone for Alexander. Their worst foreign actress that year was Renee Zellweger for Cinderella Man, which... That's weird. To me, she says you just don't like this person. She's yeah. kind of ordinary in that movie, from what I remember. I remember a lot of things being pretty ordinary in that movie. Yeah, nothing certainly worth jumping on to that degree. And then their worst foreign actor was Orlando Bloom for Elizabeth Town and Kingdom of Heaven put together. <laughs> Elizabeth Town, one of the movies that always randomly pops up here. Yeah, um, yes, he deserves that. Talk about. <laughs> we do talk around the edges of Elizabeth Town quite a bit on this podcast. It's, Probably at some point we will have to revisit it as a Oscar buzz contender for sure. This it's was nominated fun. for a Glad Media Award, which I saw that I was just like, "Huh, that's interesting." I don't think I'd have gone in that direction were I yeah. part of Glad during that yeah. time. I, especially you. this era, it's like, where can we have some sense of adjacency because there were so few, like. At least yeah. wide release, because it was nominated in their wide release category. Right. Yeah. right. Where I'm it's looking like at the other, the other nominees now. I feel like it, they were inventing uh, movie awards for bad movies to give it to Alexander this year. It's nominated for something called the Golden Schmoes Award that year for biggest ah, di- disappointment of, of the year. 
and right. it's nominated for something called the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, which generally feels like something Griffin Newman made up. And <laughs> the Stinkers decided <laughs> for most the, intrusive enough. musical score, they won a Stinkers for Vangelis. This this is this is outrageous. This I, is I won't tolerate this. This feels like a we're, Mad Magazine like fold out or whatever, where it's just sort of like, ah, we're gonna we're sense of direction. Stop them before they direct again. Like this is too editorial. I don't worst fake accent shared with Rosario Dawson and Angelina Jolie. I These object. were obviously voted on by heterosexual yeah. people. <laughs> it's like just... best worst fake accent. Get with the program. That's why I was going to say, fun. what is what is this movie without Angelina Jolie's Transylvania accent? I asked. Oh, you. my God. She rules. David, she any last things. thoughts before the IMDb game? No, I love Colin Farrell. I love Alexander. Yeah. I own this movie on Blu-ray. I think it's great. Amazing. I'll watch it anytime. It's way too long. I think it's the theatrical cut is probably fine, and like I don't know if I'll ever really need it to keep padding it out. But um, I I do appreciate the insanity of the length of the ultimate cut. Would you guys ever do an Oliver Stone series, or is that? Uh... I mean, in theory, yes, he's a uh, a great candidate. Uh, he's such a pain as a person. Sure. And he has become sort of an irrelevant director, like, you know, even though he certainly was uh, very important, you know, in those late 80s, early 90s kind of period. Yeah. Um, he's a little samey in that he sort of switches off between war movies and biopics. Like, yeah. So that might get a little sort of depressing at a point. Like, yeah. he hasn't made a lot of... Uh, fun movies. This is one of his more fun movies. More fun movies. <laughs> yes. This one comes yeah. the year after. We didn't mention he directed that documentary Commandante, where this was oh, the yeah. beginning period of his falling in love with communist uh, uh, yeah. authoritarian figures. This was yep. on the road to his, you know, affinity for Vladimir Putin was yep. was all of this. So yeah, yeah. He's kind of the director version of Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's sort of sticking around, but he's yeah. definitely past his prime, and he's uh, weirdly into Russia. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. All right. Let's do the IMDb game. Every week we uh, play the IMDb game. We pick actors for each other and then have us guess which are the four movies that show up on their known for section when you look them up on IMDb. We are going to do this round robin style. We did this in our uh, episode on the tourist. If you remember that when we had Katie rich over. So uh, Chris is going to challenge David. David is going to challenge me and then I will challenge Chris. So everybody ready? Yep. Oh, I should say also uh, after you get two wrong answers, you will get clues in the form of, the years that the movies were made in, and if it is a television performance or a voice performance, you and you're giving that clue, you give that information out ahead of time. What about TV? Do I give that clue? Yeah, if, if, it's, yeah. if, if, if anything's show, on TV, yeah. you'll be like, you know, one of these is TV, one of these is voice. Yeah. Yep. Right. All right, Chris, you want to give to David? All right, so we mentioned Val Kilmer is in this movie. Val Kilmer noted, in my opinion, worst Batman ever, also starring one campy Mr. Tommy Lee Jones. Of course. Also attached to this movie because he was in JFK, also being campy. Mr. David Sims, your IMDb challenge is Tommy Lee Jones. He's hard, man. He's been in so many movies. Oh, boy. I love him in Batman Forever. Um, so good. What an absent. What a, that's where he famously told Batman Jim. Batman Returns. Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Famously, will not sanction Jim Carrey's tomfoolery. Was what he said to him. <laughs> I will not sanction. All right. Uh, the Fugitive. Yes. 
All right. Okay. So that's an easy one. His Oscar win for The Fugitive. Also, I'm weirdly, good. we bring that movie up a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, Lincoln? Yes. Right? Yes. Another yes, Oscar, Oscar nomination. nomination. Would have been my vote uh, to win that year. No Country for Old Men? Yes. Ah, all right. Uh, he maybe his best performance in my yeah, opinion, an absolutely underrated performance. He's great in that, and for like the quintessential like how we view Tommy Lee Jones' performance. Yes, very much so. That's his persona. Yeah, grumpy, a little steely, kind of like taciturn. You know, kind of quiet, wise, grim. Yeah. All right, and then I guess for the fourth, I will guess Batman Forever. No, that is your right. first wrong guess. I mean, you know, that seemed just because it was a bit. It's sort of forgotten these days. I'm now. I'm sort of casting around Tommy Lee Jones's young and old mm-hmm. persona. Uh, how about JFK? No. Okay. No. So you have right. two so wrong me, guesses. Give me I'm going to give you the year. It is 2014. 2014. What the heck has he been in recently? Ugh. Because I was going to guess Captain America, but that's 2011. Because, you know, we forget yeah. Tommy Lee Jones is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he is, and he has not show up, and usually people do. Um, I guess it's a small enough role. I am dying here. I'm literally just trying to think what he... Wait a second. This is a movie that I think we have come very close to talking about on this podcast. 2014? Uh... I don't know. Men in, Men in Black 3. <laughs> no, I not Men know. in Black what 3. What is it? Okay, um, before the podcast, we were talking about a particular actress that is the co-star of this movie with him that definitely had Oscar buzz for the movie as well. This movie is kind of like a revitalized genre in the past 15 years that still will not die, but people keep making these movies even though they don't make money. Wait a second. It's not... Is it the Holmesman? It is the Holmesman. Wow. How the hell is the Holmesman in his top four? I want to say it's also who remembers in the Holmesman. I think it's also in Hillary Swank's top four. I weirdly think like the Holmesman is oddly popular on IMDb. For All some right, reason. didn't he? He wrote and directed that too, right? Um, yes, he did. A, it is know. also, um, but it does have him like because if you have people that are like producers or writers, like yeah, multi-hyphenate yeah. people, it'll say like what their role is in they're known for like spielberg they're like all producing credits even uh-huh. if it's the right, movies right, that he right. directed but it has him listed as the character it could be right. because like this is high on their algorithm like meryl streep is in this movie john lithgow's in this movie so right. it's like it could just be pinging off of other movies yeah all right the homesman not bad not a bad movie i like tommy lee jones's directorial efforts this and melchiata sestrada Melchiatus Estrada is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it, right? I never saw the one he directed with that was like him and Samuel L. Jackson yelling at each other on TV. Oh, I did see that. Uh, I didn't realize he directed that. Um, didn't that's he direct uh, that? Cormac McCarthy, Sunset Limited. Sunset, Sunset I was going to say, yeah, yeah, something about sunshine. Yes. <laughs> All right, so now do I do you? Yeah, yes, you, 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 give, you give to me. All right, Joe. So as I was getting ready for this podcast, I uh, made the regular decision to put Alexander into IMDb uh-huh. and then realized, of course, IMDb barely cares about the movie Alexander. There are many <laughs> people named Alexander uh-huh. uh, that it wants to show me instead. So I picked the number one Alexander, according to IMDb, Alexander Skarsgård. I was going to say it's either him or Alexander Payne. 
Okay. Alexander Skarsgård, and one of them is television. I would Unsurprisingly, assume. one of yes. them is a television. So that would be True Blood? That is correct. Okay. No big little lies, then, if it's just the one on TV. Oh, nope. yeah. His actual nope. Emmy-winning role. Which big is several lies. several ones down. IMDb yeah. game kind of struggles to get more recent stuff in there, so maybe Big Little Lies is still too new. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um. Huh. He hasn't been in a ton of movies. I know. I like. He's sort of a weirdly hard one. Would Hold the Dark be already in his... Top it four? would not. I mean, it's it's you know if you scroll yeah. down there it is, but yeah. no, no. Um, Alexander Skarsgård. What movie needs a devastatingly handsome Nordic? I feel like if you look up like Nordic in the dictionary, there's he's there, right there. There he is. Just yeah. Um. Oh, I mean, I always. I never know how to guess with uh, tiny little roles because sometimes I think if they're not significant enough part of that movie, you don't get them. But I'm going to guess because he's in uh, Zoolander briefly. It's not Zoolander. He's, I had no idea he was in Zoolander. Yeah, he's so one now, of the people in the, in oh, the yeah. car when they're driving Right, Mikas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wait, I now can I give some... you hints? Uh, give me the years. All right, so there's there's three movies, um, obviously. Two from 2011 and one from 2016. Ooh. Okay. Oh, uh, he's in he's in Melancholia. That's one of them. So weird that that's yep. on. <laughs> it is. It's really weird. I could not believe the four movies they picked. One uh, of them he is the star of. Like one of them is a little more obvious. Okay. Not that anyone remembers the movie, but he was the the, the star. So it's another one from 2011 and then 2016. 16. 2016 has got to be the one he's the star of, because he mm-hmm. wouldn't have been the star of anything in 2011. I cannot believe I remember this movie. Yeah. Not only does it not exist, it somehow made a ton of money. Oh, yeah. It did make a ton of money. This is the Tarzan movie, right? Yes. The Legend of Tarzan. Was that the same year that The Jungle Book also made all that money? I think so, 2016. Right? I remember yeah, being sure. like, I remember thinking of those two in tandem, and just like, I can't believe these two movies are so incredibly profitable. Okay, the so legend that, of the legend of Tarzan. It's the movie David Yates made in in like his Harry Potter vacation. I don't remember if this movie was 2011, but it's maybe close. Um, and I really, really like this movie, and he's good in it. Uh, the East. It is not the East. Oh, I really love. The um, okay, it like is a remake. It's a remake. And he is a... So I think he's the villain of this movie. Ooh. Yes, um, he's definitely Is it one villain. of those, like, he's like... Is it like a wannabe Hans Gruber? Is it one no, of those No, it's like of- he's sort of... It's more uh-huh. his big little eyes, you know, like, s- s- scary sexual presence, you know, kind of thing. Oh. Is he the Straw Dogs guy? That's right. I hate that they remade that movie. Yep. Why did they do that? Who did that? <laughs> who directed that movie? Rod oh, Lurie, of all people. Oh, boy. I, I don't know who thought it was a good idea to remake Straw Dogs, and I don't know who thought it was a good idea for Rod Lurie to be the guy in that off to. I'm also just realizing Battleship, which is weirdly one that probably should have been there. Oh, yeah. Diary of Instead of Straw Dogs. Yeah. I don't understand why Straw Dogs makes the list, but it's in there. All right. Okay. Well, there we go. There we have it. Um, well done. Good, good choice. Thank you. Yeah. Looking that was up evil, IMDb. The legend of Tarzan. <laughs>
All right, Chris, I am going to give to you. So I looked up uh, Oliver Stone Oscar nominated movies. He's only ever directed one actress to an Oscar nomination. Uh, that would be Joan Allen for Nixon. So we like Joan. We love Joan Allen. I'm going to have you guess Joan Allen's known for with the caveat that one of these is so hilariously not ever going to get guessed. Like it's it's kind of funny. But do your best. Okay. Okay. Uh Joan Allen, Room. Yes. Pleasantville. Yes, two for two. Mm. Um uh Nixon? Nope. No Nixon, okay. No um Nixon. Uh fuck, which Bourne movie? Um Bourne Supremacy. No. All right, so yeah. that's two strikes so you'll get years. Your years are 2008 and 1996. Uh, 96 has got to be The Crucible. Yep. And here we are, the 2008 one, which is just never going to happen. Was that the year of Born Ultimatum? No, Ultimatum was 2007. Uh, Okay, so what the hell else has she been doing? It's during that era where she was playing. I'm pretty sure this was a very uh, born esque. Like she, she kept playing these sort of uh, bosses behind the scenes of things, barking out orders from a control room, kind of a thing. Whatever it is, it's gonna piss me off because there's like things like the ice storm, and things like, like the face ice storm, and the notebook that should be even. there. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy the kinds of off. the movies that are not on. You know, searching for Bobby Fischer even should should be on this, and it's not. It is, or even like Manhunter. Um, is this a movie I've even seen? I would be shocked if you saw this movie. Let's see. Let me let me find some ways I can. David, do you, are you playing along? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I'm trying to think. It about is a it. notoriously bad director. Um, it's one of those Someone like, like Ewa Bowl or something. S- sort of, but it, it he's often in the conversation with Ewa Bowl, but is not uh, Rennie Harlan. No, he's sort of the classic Ewa Bowl. But no, wait a second. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. It is. Can I say what it is? Um, he's a much better director than Ewa Bowl. I'll say that he is. Much. He definitely is. But he's definitely he's in those conversations. Yes. He was often mocked. I feel like especially back in the day, as like, uh oh. Yeah. You know, he's the, behind the camera. The star of this movie has his own sort of like, especially used to at least, had his own little like micro genre unto, unto himself. He's since broken out into more mainstream action movies and even like action Is comedies. this an action movie? This yeah. is an action movie. Oh, okay. And he's done comedy. Is it The Rock? No, but like who's who's like the white? Like, who's a slightly smaller Who's the white rock? counterpart to The Rock <laughs> these days? Statham. Yes. Yes. Okay, so it's a Jason is she is she in that um I believe she's the villain. Hell yes. is this movie called? Is, is it villain. called like Pulse or something? No. I mean that's different 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 Statham. This one is more of a um like in the future we will do horrible things to, you know, satiate our appetite for entertainment and violence or whatever. I'm trying right? to remember. David, that's what, what it was. I've never actually and seen And this, this one's movie. like kind of sci fi, right? Because there was a sci fi one where he has like, I want to say like Chloe, Gla- Chloe Grace Moretz as like a sidekick or something. Yes, this is sort of a um, like a future dystopia kind of movie. Right. Like The Running Man, but with not running, right? 
Yeah, and it's a remake, I think, as Joe. Oh, it is. Yes, it is a remake. Yeah. I quite definitively don't know what this is. It, the 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 transporter is it the transporter? No, crank, crank. Those movies. No, you are crank. literally painting around all of the corners of this. You've gotten like every you other are. Statham movie. Right. You've named Jason Statham's whole career. <laughs> this is actually technically a lifetime achievement award yes. for him now. Uh, can I say the movie? I know yeah, David, is. say the movie. Please, I will not get this. It is Death Race. Death Race. Death Race. You know the famous movie Death Race from 2008. Which Mr. Joseph Reed is currently in because I am chasing him down <laughs> for picking this for me. Directed by Paul, Paul W.S. Yeah. Anderson. Paul W.S. Oh, Anderson. Famously a, of a the IMDb director. game when Sanaa Lathan's included a Alien vs. Predator. Oh, right. AVP. Oh, yeah. Sure. Not, so weird. not his best work. No, no, not at all. The Resident Evil movies are great. Yeah. You guys, this was a very, very fun conversation. David, thank you yes. so much for being on with us. This was great and wonderful. And thank, thank you so you. much for coming, David. Thank you for giving me and an excuse to buy movie. Alexander on Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you really, did you buy it just for this? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've oh been waiting. God. Is there like a multi-pack that includes all the there's different like, versions? There's like seven different Blu-rays that you have to sort of <laughs> sift through, where you're, where it's like the final cut, the ultimate cut, like where you're like which the one? The ultimate final cut. Yeah, oh it really is crazy. That's fantastic. Um, David, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you and your various uh, offerings? Oh, sure. Yes, yeah, so I'm a film critic at The Atlantic, so you can see me there. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at David L. Sims. And uh, you can listen to my podcast, Blank Check, uh, which is on Audio Boom. You can listen to it on all the podcast things. Uh, Blank Check with Griffin and David. You are also, great. Um, you're part of the New York Film Critics Circle. That's true. Yes. I am. I'm when an award you giver. Vote? You're voting soon, uh, right? At the end of November. Uh, right right at the end of November. It's so exciting. I got to start uh, lobbying you for various things, even though I know you will you will stay loyal to your own to your own. I mean, I've I've got my, I think I've got my sort of vague, I have to think about it though. But yeah, no, I'm excited. It's going to be a weird year. I feel like last year I, I was G-chatting all of you, all of you who I know. I feel like I know half of the New York Film Critics Circle, like, sure. personally now. And I kept being like, Tiffany Haddish, Tiffany Haddish. And lo and behold. Tiffany Haddish. She got your support. I went in there with her, yeah. Last year, the New York Film Critics doing the Lord's work and making sure Tiffany Haddish got a major prize of some kind. Oh, That's right. So she gave good. a great speech. We appreciate your oh. efforts. <laughs> she gave the best speech. I still go back and I watch that speech uh, on YouTube. It was it's amazing. So good. God's panties. Uh, so if you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, tell the listeners where they can find you and your stuff. Uh, I am Chris File. I am on Twitter at Chris V File. That's F-E-I-L. I am also on Letterboxd at Chris V File, where you can find our updated um, list of all of our This Had Oscar Buzz titles, including IMDb game stats and direct links to the episodes. You can also find me on the Film Experience, writing about soundtracks and other things. Wonderful. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. I am as ever, making an effort to fill in my letterbox with all the stuff I've watched this year, especially as we are making it to year end, and I've got some lists to make, so stay tuned for that. 
We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with iTunes visibility. So if you want us to be as easy to find as Colin Farrell's balls in that one shot where he's getting into bed, please lend us a rave. That is all for this week. We hope you will be back next week for more Buzz. Dip Buzz. Everyone's a winner, baby. Oh, no.